Psalm 120, a psalm, a song of ascents. This is God's holy word. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O God, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? And what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Recently, one of our daughters took a long trip with some of her friends, a four-hour car trip. And she told us that for the last three hours, they sang the whole way. Uh, There's a whole category of music uh, in popular music that are called road trip songs. That when you're traveling, when you're on a journey, there's just music that you play to help you as you travel along. Well, in a much greater and more blessed way, God himself has given us songs to sing as we live our lives as strangers here in the world in reverent fear, as we go where other pilgrims trod, as we make our way to the heavenly city. We've read one of those songs tonight, Psalm 120. The Psalms in general have always been loved by the people of God. They are infallible hymns for the Christian life, the life of those who love and trust and serve Messiah, the Christ, as the Old Testament saints did, the Christ to come, and as we do in the new covenant age, loving, trusting, and serving the Christ who has come. The Psalms are not just about the Christian life. They're about the Christ of our lives as well. Christ himself, Luke 24, 44, the Psalms, Jesus said, speak of me. And so we see Christ in many ways here in the book of Psalms. So as we look to Christ in faith as he's revealed in the Bible, Jesus has given us the Psalms to be the the spiritual playlist, the special spiritual playlist of Life. J. Gresham Machen, in a collection of his letters, letters that he wrote home to his mother while he served in Europe in World War I. In one of the letters, he says, as he writes home, I am reading the Psalms in a French Bible. The Psalms are the best reading in general for army life. They just seem to fit the needs of the soul. And there he is, as he is fighting uh, in the army in real physical battle. He loves the Psalms, and we are in a battle as well. We're fighting the good fight of faith. The Psalms are the best reading. For army life. 
Spurgeon, in his preface to this collection of psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, says, In these busy days, it would be greatly to the spiritual profit of Christians if they were more familiar with the book of Psalms, in which they would find a complete armory for life's battles, the perfect supply for life's needs. Here we have both delight and usefulness, consolation and instruction. For every condition, there is a psalm, suitable and elevating. The psalms supply the babe in grace with penitent cries and the mature saint with triumphant songs. Its breadth of experience stretches from the jaws of hell to the gates of heaven. He who is acquainted with the marches of the psalm country knows that the land flows with milk and honey and he delights to travel therein. The marches of the psalm country. This afternoon, we begin a series of sermons on the group of particular psalms known as the Psalms of Ascents. And we begin where they begin with Psalm 120. Sometimes it says as well, Psalm of Ascents, Song of Ascents, sometimes of David, once of Solomon. But Psalm 120 is the first of these 15 Songs of Ascents. The King James Version says degrees. I think the French is graduel or something, gradations. Uh, Psalm 120 to 134. The word literally means steps or stairs. Do you have stairs at your house, boys and girls? Yeah, Uh, we do too. Stairs, you can go up and you can start on one level of your house and go up to another part of your house. You couldn't jump that high, but you have stairs that you can use to go up. Well, these are the songs of stairs, the stair songs. Uh, But what does it mean? What's involved with these songs of ascents or degrees? Uh, I don't think we can be dogmatic to say absolutely only one thing that it has to mean. Matthew Poole, the commentator, said we should be contentedly ignorant as to what the exact meaning probably is. Uh, O. Palmer Robertson, the Old Testament scholar, in his book on the Psalms, recent book, suggests numerous things that people have suggested over the years. Some say these Psalms have a particular excellence of content. They are highly exalted. They're high up on the, on the stairs of excellence. Uh, some say that the, the words there refer to uh, the way it is to be sung with a loud voice. So it's a musical instruction. Uh, that was Calvin's choice of explanation, sung on a higher key than the other psalms. Uh, some suggest that this word uh, means that these psalms, as we go through verse by verse, reach a climax in development. So uh, the, the story of the psalm goes up and up and up to a climax. You see that, especially in Psalm 30, that we'll get to, Lord willing, eventually. From, Lord, from the depths... I cry to you. And then it ends with the full redemption of Israel from the depths to the heights. And so this ascending nature to the content of the song. Some have suggested, although there's really no uh, 
historical evidence for this, that these were sung on the 15 steps, each individually of the temple courts. And so on each step, one of these 15 psalms would be sung. Again, no historical evidence for that to the degree that Calvin said that was just a silly conjecture. Um, Others have said that these were psalms that were used uh, and sung when the exiles were returning from Babylon, from the, the place of exile and captivity back to the promised land, and they sang these traveling songs. What you hear most often is that these 15 psalms in particular were sung as the people went up to the three annual feasts in the religious life of the people of God in the Old Testament. And that certainly matches the language in several of these psalms. Psalm 122, verse 1, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Or Psalm, or uh, verse 4, that is where the tribes go up. That's the, the word. That's where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. Uh, there's a sense, though, as we think of these psalms in which we are, we're going up, we're traveling, uh, that it's applicable to all Christians as we go onward and upward in our heavenly calling in the Christian life. As we, too, live as pilgrims and strangers here on our way to the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. We walk in the footsteps of Abraham, who by faith went up not knowing where he was going in this world, but looked forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And in a very similar way, by faith, we go through our lives, not sure exactly in every detail where providence will lead us or where what providence will bring us, but we too know by faith where it will lead us ultimately to the place that Christ is preparing for us. So these are pilgrim psalms. They're also psalms, along with the rest of God's word, that encourage us to lift up our eyes, a lifting up, a psalm of ascents or degrees, a lifting up of our eyes and thoughts to Christ. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Psalm 123, I lift up my eyes to you whose throne is in heaven. So it's a song of ascent, lifting up. Don't just look down around you. Don't just look inside of you. Look up. Look up to heaven. Look to God. Look to Christ where he is seated at the right hand of God. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So there are several ways that we can understand these songs of ascents as we go up from this world to, to heaven, to the heavenly city, as we lift our eyes up to Christ, we can sing these songs of ascents that God has given to us. We start with Psalm 120. And I just want to consider with you this afternoon three steps or three stanzas, we could say, to this song. We see first a particular hardship. Then we see a predicted punishment. And lastly, a pitiful plea. Particular hardship, predicted punishment, 
and a pitiful plea. Well, I hope you have your Bibles open. Look at Psalm 120 there in verse 1. The psalm begins with a note of distress. I called on the Lord in my distress. And it is a very distressing word. It's used in Genesis 42, 21. Uh, Joseph's brothers saying to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. Can you imagine that? Being sold as a slave, taken off to a land that you did not know by your brothers, by your own family, and how distressing that would be. That's the word here. It's deep distress. It's a great hardship. The King James there in verse in Genesis 42 has the anguish of his soul. The anguish of his soul. There are lots of things in a fallen world that can bring anguish to your soul. But here in Psalm 120, one hardship is singled out. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me, Save me, O Lord, from what? From lying lips and from deceitful tongues. It's not the lips and the tongue themselves, boys and girls, but of course the words that come from them. Things that are said or yelled or whispered that are untrue. Lies intended to harm or cheat or deceive. Many people think that the historical context of Psalm 120 could very well be David in his interaction with Doeg, the Edomite, who betrayed him to King Saul. But to experience distress from what people say is a common experience for so many people. I think it's one of the most prevalent pastoral issues that people would come to me with. Can I talk to you? Something's happened. I just want to talk to someone about it. Sure. What's happened? Someone said. Someone said. It can happen in all kinds of ways. Small children at home who are cut to pieces by harsh and cruel language from parents or siblings. You can face this kind of harm from what people say at school or at work or sometimes, sadly, at church. Someone said. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Slander, one writer said, is sharper than a sword. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, Proverbs 26, 28, and a flattering mouth works ruin. The harm and distress that can come when people speak uh, evil things against us. Happened in the life of Charles Spurgeon. He'd become very popular as a preacher, needed bigger and bigger uh, venues to preach at. More and more people were coming to listen to him. 
Uh, but on one occasion when they had rented a new place to, to, to worship and uh, the, it was filled and the balconies were filled, someone, to cause trouble, started yelling out, fire, fire, the balconies are collapsing. And it was not true. It was a lie. But it caused a stampede. And many people were killed and many more injured. It really affected Spurgeon, probably for the rest of his life. It, it sent him into a deep depression. But the next day, in the newspaper, that happened October 19th, the Daily Telegraph on October 20th wrote this, when the mangled corpses had been carried away from the unhallowed and disgraceful scene, when husbands were seeking their wives and children their mothers in extreme agony and despair. The clink of the money as it fell into the collection boxes grated harshly, miserably on the ears of those who, we sincerely hope, have by this time conceived for Mr. Spurgeon and his rantings the profoundest contempt. They say, you should hate this guy. Why are you supporting him? You should uh, think of him with the profoundest contempt. Now, Spurgeon himself could say how often we meet with people who are staggered by slander. It is impossible to stop malicious tongues, he said. They wound and even slay the characters of the godly. The distressed one cries, I cannot bear it. I shall give all up. Reminds us of James and his words in chapter 3, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the evil parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Remember Jesus' words in John 8, you belong to your father the devil, you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Not English or French or Dutch. The devil's native language is lying. Lying. For he is a liar and the father of lies. When people lie, they are most like the devil. The devil, that word that Jesus uses there is diabolos, which means the slanderer. And it's when we see the origin and the source of lying lips and deceitful tongues, only when we acknowledge the evil and the hatred and the damage and the harm, that we can appreciate the second step of Psalm 120, verses 3 and 4, the predicted punishment. What will he do to you? And what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. What will he do? And the he is God, the king and the lawgiver and the judge, the God who knows every word that is spoken. You brood of vipers, Matthew 12. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. But every word that is spoken... Proverbs 6, maybe you know the song, kids. There are six things that the Lord hates, even seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. And here's the predicted punishment for liars and those with deceitful tongues. Words are like swords and the punishment will be like sharp arrows. But God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. All who see them will shake their heads in scorn. Psalm 64, 7 and 8. Do you remember James said the tongue is a fire? Well, what's the punishment here? The the imagery of the punishment. Burning coals of the broom tree. It's poetic justice. It's fitting justice. The broom tree is probably, scholars say, the juniper tree, some kind of juniper tree. Very dense wood. One scholar says, these coals which do not flame or crackle like thorns under a pot, but give a vehement heat and keep fire very long, some say year-round, even when they seem to be gone out. Just keeps burning and burning and burning. Do you remember what Jesus said about the punishment of hell? Mark 9, 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Revelation 22 said, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Or falsehood. This is the predicted punishment for a lying tongue. And that day will come. That day will come. But until then, this is the world that we live in a world where we are surrounded by lies and deceitful tongues that can cause us great distress. And so we understand, thirdly, the third part of this psalm, the pitiful plea. Because it wasn't just a one-off occurrence that just one time someone said something that caused the writer distress. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar, Now, Meshech refers to a people living north of Israel. Kedar were tribes of nomads in the Arabian desert. And so the writer is saying, I'm just living out in the world and experiencing these things. I'm living among the enemies of God's people. It's a poetic way of saying I'm living in a fallen world, surrounded by sin and sinners and lies and liars. And he says, woe is me, 
How long? How long? Don't you feel like just turning off the media completely because you're just sick of all the lying? And then you're just living out in the world and less and less can you find someone who's dependable anymore? And people just saying things and not carrying through on things, breaking promises on the one hand, outright lying to people on the other hand. And when it becomes personal and they're saying things against you and false witnesses arise and, and tear down your character and say things about you that aren't true, woe is me that I dwell in Meshach. We're like Lot in Second Peter 2.8, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. The end of the psalm there can describe the Christian. We try to be peacemakers, but we get strife instead. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. We go out and we just try to help people. We try to be peacemakers and bridge relationships and help people to get along, but it seems that the more we try sometimes, the worse it gets, and people don't want any of it. This is a pitiful plea that to one degree or another, I think every Christian knows and feels and has experienced. But God has given us the scriptures for our help and for our comfort and for our strength. What is the help and comfort of this psalm? Well, it's right there in verse 1, isn't it? The first thing that we see is the saint's prayer. He's in distress from lying lips and deceitful tongues, but I call on the Lord in my distress. The answer is prayer. The first reflex should be prayer. Not talking back to that person, but talking to God first. Silence to men and prayer to God are the best cures for the evil of slander, said one writer. So he says, I call on the Lord, or perhaps better, I cry to the Lord. And the first word in the psalm in the Hebrew is unto the Lord. Unto the Lord I cry. So God is first in this psalm. It's looking to the Lord, lifting our eyes up to God. And what did he cry? Save me, deliver me from lying lips. Save me. That's the prayer. Save me. But I think it's helpful to take a little step back here. Of course, the saving here in the immediate context is uh, from others who lie. Deliver me from that experience. But the save me, as we think about this passage in the broader context of Scripture, should also be save me. Save me first. From lying tongue, and deceit and lying lips and deceitful tongue. Jesus said we are to take the log out of our own eye first. And so we are to take the sword out of our own mouth first. The psalmist says in verse 7, I am a man of peace. Is that always true of us? 
or have we caused trouble? This psalm compels us not just to look at our enemies, but to look at ourselves and then, by God's grace, to look to Christ. Because Christ is the Prince of Peace. Think of Christ when you read verse 7. I am a man of peace. He came as the Prince of Peace, but when I speak, they are for war. He came into this world to bring peace. And they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. False witnesses were raised up against him. Not only David, but David's Lord faced slander and false accusation. And listen, for him, it was always false accusation. Always false. But you know, as I thought of this psalm, when the devil, the accuser of the brethren, often when he accuses us, it's not false. It's not false. We have had ourselves lying lips and deceitful tongues. We have not always been for peace, but for war in different ways. Christ died not for what was false about us, but for what was true about us, our sin, our sinful words that flow out of a sinful heart. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Because of Christ and trusting in him, we have in our prayer the assurance of God's care. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. He answers me. What a wonderful blessing and comfort that is. He answers me in the forgiveness of my own sin. Woe to me, said Isaiah, cried Isaiah. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With, With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. We have the comfort of the forgiveness of sin. And we have the comfort that God will ultimately save us and deliver us from Meshach's land, from the tents of Kedar, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. There will be ultimate vindication for the people of God. And we need to live every day in that comfort and strength and assurance that the the, the lying against us as the people of God, the false accusations against us as the people of God, if it's true, then we need to confess that. But when it's not true, by God's grace we stand, we continue to stand. Spurgeon again is so helpful. Why, why yield to mere talk, he said. Even these cruel tongues are in God's hand. Can you not brave their attacks? God will save us. They cannot utter a single whisper more than God permits. 
Go on your way, O righteous man, and let false tongues pour forth their poison as they will. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn, Isaiah fifty four seventeen. If my times are in God's hand, no man can do me harm unless God permit. Though my soul is among the lions, yet no lion can bite me while Jehovah's angel is my guard. This feeling that our interests are safe in the highest keeping breeds an independent spirit. It prevents cringing before the great and flattering the strong. God will save his people. You will hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. You will keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Psalm 31, verse 20. In verse 5, that word, dwell, I dwell in Meshach, in the Hebrew has the sense of just living for a time, to be a sojourner, to be a traveler, to be a pilgrim. It's where you are now, but it's not where you will be forever. And so even as we say, woe is me, how long, O Lord, in light of my own sin and the sin that is around us, especially the sin of lying lips, the Lord saves his people. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me, save me, O Lord. And when we're in glory, we will say amen and amen and amen. Not one of God's promises has fallen to the ground. My soul distracted mourns and pines to reach that peaceful shore where all the weary are at rest and travelers vex no more.